0: Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This series is brought to you by SuperGuardian, a specialist self-managed super fund administrator for their client-centric approach to their full service solution. If you need SMSF support or CPD, check out the Knowledge Center or sign up for Super Guardian updates at superguardian.com.au. Welcome back to the XY Advisor Podcast. I'm Fraser Jack and we are continuing with our Self-Managed Superfund series. And today I'm joined by Alistair Sutherland. G'day, Alistair. G'day, mate. How are you?
1: Good. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for coming on. It's been, uh, and you're one of the uh, one of the all-time experts uh, that when, when I talk to people around the traps, especially on the, uh, on the platform with XY, people mention your name like you're some guru in Self-Managed Superfund.
1: No, I wouldn't put it that far, but I, I do love it a fair bit. So fair call.
0: <laughs> exactly right. You do love it. Now let's tell us t- tell us about you. Tell us about where you are at the moment.
1: So I'm currently at um Yumina Beach and with a firm called Player Hall. So we do predominantly accounting work, and then um, there's a small financial advisory arm as well. Fantastic.
0: And you are the financial advisor arm of that firm. Quite a quite a large firm, though, isn't it?
1: yeah, there's currently two partners. one of them will be exiting at the end of this financial year, but um then there's two other accounting staff, two one bookkeeper, one full-time well one part-time bookkeeper and then an admin staff, and then um, Kate who's our financial ad- assistant. And yeah, we're currently looking for more staff, which is the fun and games of the accounting world at the moment, but um yeah, that's us.
0: It seems to be the fun and games of not just the accounting world, but a lot of financial planners are also in that same position at the moment where people are, everyone I speak, speak to seems to be looking for staff.
1: Yeah, it's probably not surprising really. I think COVID has done something quite spectacular in the sense of it's allowed more people to work from home and employers realise that uh, people can actually work from home effectively. And it just means that you can work three hours outside of Sydney, for example, and get Sydney prices, um, so not many people are wanting to move or yep. change from that. So, yeah. fair enough.
0: Fair enough. Now, tell us about your story. How did you get into uh, into the profession?
1: So, my family start uh, has. Well, Still has a public practice, but um, basically, my dad uh, got the shits with me one year when I was at school, just lying around in bed, and dragged me out of my bed and said, "Right, you're coming in to work for me today." And um, yeah, that's basically the start of it. So, Good on yeah. you, dad. Good on you. Way to <laughs> yeah, go. that's it. Oh, what a start! So yeah, that was that was my basically entry into the accounting world.
0: So your dad's an accountant with a practice, and then just said, "No, you're coming in." Sit there. Here's pretty, a calculator. Pretty fill in much these yeah. forms. Yeah.
1: Here's some here's here's a depreciation schedule you need to fill out by hand. So um yeah, thanks dad.
0: But <laughs> but, but to be fair, you do actually love it, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, after after I got over myself and a few years went by and I finished high school and stuff, then I wandered around for a year. Yeah, I fell I fell in love with it, really. About three months in or something, I was just like, Yep, this is it. Yep. And so, you obviously
0: don't still work for your dad. You've moved around a bit.
1: No, that's correct. Yes, I moved moved from there into a firm in Surrey Hills, which was absolutely fascinating. Um, I dealt with um, all of the guys in the entertainment industry, actors, producers, editors, VFX artists, everything. It's awesome. Um, and then from there, moved into Castle Royce Street in, Sur- in Sydney, and that was high net wealth individuals, um, which was really interesting to see what goes on there and then uh, finally traipsed myself up to Gosford because um, we decided to start a family and my wife's from up here in Gosford so hence managed to land a job up here and then from there moved into Yamina Beach at Playa Hall. Fantastic
0: beautiful spot of the world. That's it. And uh, okay, so you've, uh, you've you've been mostly in New South Wales and Sydney and um, and working a lot of accounting firms. Tell me about how you, you know, where did this uh, love for self-management funds come into?
1: Probably first kicked off when I first started really is we, we had, um, I got chucked into the deep end essentially uh, and was sitting in front of clients three times my age at the time. And I just, just for some reason picked up on the absolute joy of, dealing with self-managed funds and the sheer accounting bliss of them because all the records are there it's like it's just handed to you on a nice little silver platter and yes there's you know complex compliance stuff too but um yeah that's just what i've really enjoyed most about them
0: i I love the way you say the sheer accounting bliss i'm i'm sorry it just (laughs) makes me it makes me laugh no that's it (laughs) Uh, the fact that you uh, the fact that you love them so much and um, all right so let, let's talk about uh, some of the work that you're doing uh, now with regards to self-managed super funds. What, are you specializing in a sp- uh, specific area of SMSFs?
1: I would say, yeah, business real property acquisitions would be where I I find the most most joy, and even even um, utilising small business CGT concessions to shovel as much money as reasonably possible into the environment.
0: Fair enough and so so you get a lot of people coming to you with the idea of wanting to purchase uh, real property?
1: I wouldn't say a lot but yeah the clients that have existing clients that have approached me usually come and say right we're fed up dealing with landlords we kind of want to do our own thing Um, it's a usual story even with normal renters like you just fed up you want to own your own house so fair enough and then it's just broaching seeing how we can get them essentially what they want
0: Yep, fair enough. So let's let's start. Let's go through that process then. Let's go through that process that you would you'd talk to somebody if they you know maybe before beforehand. Uh, you know, the, working all the way through the process. Let's start with sort of um, that pre-engagement space.
1: Yeah, so that is really notice. So all clients that have really had whisperings of, yeah, I'm thinking I want to do a SMSF with, and I probably want to buy some property in there or just an SMSF in general. It's just enough notice, really, because you can't, we've had it in the past where client is, client's done something and the next day said, oh, I just bought this property. Uh, I want it in my SMSF. And then we as accountants are just, there shitting ourselves because of the sheer volume of stuff that needs to happen for this to actually work. So, just saying to clients, like, if before you even think about executing any documents, like, just, just give me some heads up, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting. And because and you're absolutely right. Somebody finds the property, falls in love with it, and all of a sudden, it's an immediate need.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. And which you can kind of understand, right? If you're driving fast, you see a business real property, and like, Yep, that's it. I want that. And if the for sale signs up or it's got auction on it, like you you get it, right? So it's just trying to set the client's expectations that it's just not gonna happen immediately.
0: Yep. So for somebody that you see that might be in that space, do you sort of drag them aside and say, Right, if you if you're gonna do this thing we need to we need a preparation time?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I mean the minimum preparation time is roughly twenty eight days, really, which is mainly off the back of the ATO Um, because they are seriously looking into all ABN applications for SMSFs. So if something smells funny to them or they just want to take their 28 days, uh, you can't do anything until you have that magical little ABN.
0: Okay, so that's a really interesting tip. The very first thing you need to know is is, uh, give yourself at least a month in preparation and notice time is when you when you see the business real property settling though is it is it a bit more like say residential property um in that sense where it can happen quite quickly or does it take a longer time
1: No settlement with business real property you' it's roughly the same amount of time as as resi's. um you can the one I did recently we did extend out the settlement time i believe by two months just to give just to give us all enough time to sort out funding. Um, so that'd be certainly another recommendation is if you can extend out settlement, do so.
0: Yeah. Cause it's not just obviously the setting up of the fund, it's the setting up of the funding nice. that's, that uh, can take a long time, especially in this environment.
1: Mm, that's it.
0: So talk us through that process. Then uh, the, 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 the first part is about making sure you've got time. What's the next part?
1: It's really in engagement with all the parties, really. So it's, we're not really talking about the advice document process now. It's getting all your contacts kind of lined up, who you need to speak to, and then the rough and kind of who does what and then at what time and when things need to act- be actioned. So communication with all these parties is absolutely critical. Especially so do you take in the startup stage. Sorry
0: do you do you take on that role of the the um, the organizer or the project manager? I guess of that.
1: Yeah, I do see myself like that. Just because there's from the client's perspective one centralized person that they're really dealing with. So if the advisor takes on this role, then we know that everything is going to work reasonably seamlessly, and the client's only dealing with one, you know, two people. Really, at most, through all of this, with majority of their questions.
0: Yeah, it's not exactly. It's not like they do it every day. So it's it's generally they're walking into a uh, an unknown space.
1: Yeah, that's correct. And then it's just every all the other well, fun compliance stuff that they're not <laughs> particularly aware of. That you know, as advisors and and for and in the accounting world, it's just yeah, it's maybe a bit, bit mind boggling.
0: So do you do you have a process in place that sort of steps them through what's what's it- coming or what's expected in in regards to all of that documentation, all that compliance, all these moving different different moving parts that have to take place?
1: Yeah, well, I do that in, in the engagement process. It's, you know, yeah, all right, you, you want to move forward with this. Here are the things that we need to do before you even think about, you know, speaking to a broker, speaking to an estate agent. Um, just to again set expectations and set reasonable timelines as well.
0: Yeah. Is that, a, is that a checklist that you have or?
1: Not a formalized checklist. Like all good accountants and advisors, we hide things in our heads. Um, yeah. So over the, over time, it's just materialized. So it's just an automatic function for me. Um, but yeah, eventually I'd like to see this kind of a bit more formalized because then, uh, then at the end of the day, uh, I need to train staff to do my job and they need to know about this stuff so
0: yeah every little every little uh piece of the jigsaw puzzle that has to be put in place at exactly the right time
1: yeah that's it
0: and so talk to me about setting them all up because obviously there's a lot of uh, headaches i just i just think about it and it just goes it all seems like it's in the too hard basket
1: well, it is, I suppose, yeah. But if you take the if you're the approach of what I like to take, it's just it's a challenge, but it's a massive opportunity. So it's just um, pushing that forward. And I suppose the setup process is getting the client engaged too. So what I did to my recent clients was I made them take the SMSF trusty education course, just straight off the bat, even before all this stuff started, to make sure they understood what was really going on. Cause at the end of the day they're the ones at most risk followed by the advisor then followed by the accountant and solicitor
0: yeah and so that's the ato course
1: uh yeah it's run by a couple other third parties but essentially yes that's correct um yeah. and, so and, well worth and,
0: and you recommend that uh anybody that's setting up a fund should be doing that course or any advisor mm-hmm. advising on a fund should be putting their clients through
1: it yeah i believe so really because yeah, the experience has told me over the years that clients see it as a shiny little, shiny little bell and they kind of set and forget it without realizing that they're actually required to put a bit of time, effort and energy into this because it's, they've got a fiduciary duty, not yep. so be it themselves,
0: but. <laughs> be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it'd be an interesting thing if you, if you mentioned that and they went "Oh no, no, like I don't have time for that or it, it, that's, it's. Pretty telling sign, isn't it, that they might not uh, want to do all the other stuff that's required?
1: Yeah, that's correct. And the ATO, and if you ever put that in writing to the ATO, they'll immediately knock the ABN application back. So it's just ensuring that, you know, you probably never reasonably put that in writing to the ATO anyway. But it is a telling sign if they're not particularly interested in setting it up.
0: Even just saying that to the client, if the ATO found out that you didn't want to do it, they, would, uh, they wouldn't they would let you have it.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, we had a recent ABN application uh, knocked back um, because the it was a solicitor. Um, she had a lot of stuff going on, and her husband was going through um, um, some pretty serious cancer stuff, and the ATO deemed her to be not a competent trustee for the sheer fact of the, there was just no time to really effectively manage the, the SMSF's affairs so a bit of a gut-wrenching thing for her because there was other stuff happening of course but it's
0: that just would really, have just uh, really that, important that, that would have been a really interesting conversation
1: it certainly was I would have been loved to have been a fly on the wall for that one
0: wow well, yeah I don't think anybody likes to be told that they're not deemed as uh, competent no. especially yeah. especially you, when you're in a, in a professional seat and you're, uh, yeah that's and, correct you pride yourself on being competent Yep. Um, so talk us through this process because I, I know there's a lot of moving parts to it and I also know it can be extremely frustrating and uh, inefficient. Um, talk us through this process and where you think it can sort of um, maybe get better or, where, or you know, where, where are the parts that really bottleneck?
1: The, the, well, the process really is ensuring all the uh, entities are set up in the correct order that the solicitor and the accountant and you as the advisor are essentially communicating probably more than average, really. Um, I did spend a fair amount of time on the on the phone to the solicitor pre-setup, post-setup, and then even after execution of all documents it was a couple of hours on the phone. Um, and it's well worth it, really, at the end of the day. And even, I suppose, even engaging an auditor, too, if you have an, a friend... Um, uh, an auditor in your little circle it's to make sure that in my particular case um, that the business acquisition plus the construction of the internal premises still meets all the well, still meets the sole purpose test and doesn't cross over any other you know funny funny cis laws and stuff so just pre setup is quite critical
0: it's interesting the the when uh, whenever you hear the word auditor, you're thinking about uh, a past tense, right? It comes in, uh, yeah, uh, they come correct. in afterwards, and they do stuff. Mm. So you know that that pre that active getting auditors involved before stuff is set up is uh, is an interesting point.
1: It just makes you aware because as the as your advisor as the last, sorry the advisor. You know you've got a lot of stuff going on in your head and you can't reasonably across all things so i mean look you probably hopefully understand the basic concept of smsfs but it's just useful to have that you know backup of yeah i can go to this guy who knows his stuff he's done this before what are the things i need to be aware of and then right done off we go
0: and uh, and obviously the you know the setting up of that, once it's all set up and and executed like you said you know getting things done in the right order which is the the hard part like, this is a lot of project management for you I'm feeling um, what's what's after that so once it's sort of set up and then purchased as how, how long does this take and, and and how long does your process take if you mentioned the twenty eight days to start with but
1: yeah so uh, just as a timeline perspective I suppose we set up. For this particular client, um, we set up the SMSF and the entities on the 9th of September, 2020, did the ABN application essentially that day, um, I didn't get it immediately, uh, I was shitting my pants, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then then the process could really start, then the the LRBA documentation and bear trust deed and trustee company was set up the day after, because that's quite timeline specific and then contracts were essentially exchanged and settlement was set for the 9th of December and then in that time we're hurriedly rolling over existing funds, then speaking to the broker to make to do all pre-assessment stuff and then finally get their act together and um, essentially approve funding which did take a lot longer than expected. So that was a big. Dealing with brokers was a was a bit painful, cause they yeah, because really they weren't really in my.
0: They're not even the person that makes the decision, right? Because they're they're dealing with somebody else. They're dealing with a bank or a lender. And-
1: yeah, that's correct, and it, it's slightly worse for the fact of the big four banks aren't in the LIBA lending space which kind of makes no sense, but anyway. So we're dealing with second tier, third tier um, organizations. And this one, the funding we got was through St. George, but it's funded by Perpetual, how that massive circle of debt works, Mm. which is a totally other conversation. Um, But um, just the sheer amount of time and communication that was, I suppose, almost wasted with a broker um, was quite frustrating. So, yeah, I'd certainly... That was a mistake I had, was not engaging the broker probably sooner and getting all the information to them faster.
0: Yeah, so it's certainly it, a
1: lesson learned in that.
0: It can be a tricky thing, but uh, from the client's point of view, obviously, getting this in place, uh, I just want to run through the timeline again. It's it's a 28-odd days at the beginning to get the, the fund set up. You've got to roll everything in. You've got to get your contracts through. You've got to sort out your finance. Uh, then you also... I guess at the end of this, once the property's been purchased, it doesn't stop there,
1: right? That's correct. So after that, then there's more documents that need to be dealt with and make sure everything's signed and ready to go. And then the, in particularly in New South Wales, the bear trust must be stamped within three months of execution of, um, uh, three months of settlement. So if that's missed, then you don't have a legal trust deed. and. Um, Yeah, you can sort it out, don't get me wrong, it's just penalties and stuff from ASIC, uh, which are not something the client really needs to deal with. And then, I suppose, further on is making sure the accountant's got everything that they need um, to sort out the back-end accounting work. And then the ongoing advice conversation really is like, yes, you just got this big lumpy asset, what do you do now?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and you got to mould that back in with the rest of their financial strategies. So, t- yep. tell me about the um, the different types of business real properties you see being purchased by p- people and their funds.
1: Well, what would you mean? What would you mean for that? Because it's as in Cause it's all, it feels
0: it's, to me like it needs to be a you know a particular size or a particular. Can it be just a small office, or is it is it generally specialist um, showrooms or specialist um, factories?
1: Yeah, uh, in the firm that I'm with at the moment. There are a few that are mainly designed for um, manufacturing and warehousing, and then in the past a few years ago, then there's more retail shopfront space um, for businesses. And the one particular, the one recent client was a sound studio, so it can be. Oh, and then if you, then I suppose solicitors as well, their chambers, I've seen their chambers inside SMSFs, and then I suppose office spaces as well. I suppose it just comes down to whatever the client's industry is and what do they actually need.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell me about the sound studio, that's interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it, so he's a sound sound designer and engineer and... Does um, some pretty cool stuff and works for some pretty interesting clients in the film and TV commercial space. So yeah, he's he got kicked out of his uh, old studio. He was leasing. So um, and to set up a to set up a sound studio properly for full on you know not podcasty stuff, proper sound recording for films and TV commercials, it's around anywhere from a hundred thousand to to. A plus basically depending on how many studios you want in there so um this guy's spending pretty sure upwards of two hundred and fifty thousand on these on two studios in this one um business premises
0: yeah it, it, it you're absolutely right when you've got to do a specialist industry like that and you've got to spend a lot of money on a setup of a, of a thing and, and then you then your lease runs out and you've got to move it it's uh, it's not <laughs> ideal
1: no, because it's, yeah, sure, you can rip out the shell and stuff and then, you know, re-import it into the next one. But, like you know, how many times do you really want to do that? So, yeah. hence, it was just solve the problem for the client.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And are you, um, are you mostly local to that area or do you you look after clients everywhere?
1: Look after clients everywhere. I've um, got a fair few people in Sydney. So, that one, the sound studio guy in particular, is in Annandale. So, I would say... Sp- probably say most of the clients are sitting in the new south wales space on the east coast
0: Yep. now when you are setting these funds up uh and obviously you do have to engage with other professionals it's a, it's a huge part about it T- tell us about that process because sometimes people can be a little bit prickly with your first off i suppose
1: <laughs> well of course it just depends on the angle you're coming you're coming at it's because I suppose keeping in mind that the overarching goal is you need to get this stuff sorted for your client. So, you know, having having the right people around you from, you know, you as the advisor to then dealing with any accountant and then an auditor and a solicitor and a broker, you know, if you've developed good relationships with all these guys, then the process is a lot smoother.
0: Yep, fair enough. And obviously because you're working with an accounting firm and that, Say so that. Let's say that client might have a different accountant or accounting firm. Is that a, has that ever been a problem, or do you just get the client to introduce you all, or do you just have to pick up the phone and talk to them?
1: Sometimes you just have to pick up the phone and just say good day. Um, otherwise, if you do have if you have the existing relationships with the with the client, then it's like, all right, who's going to see who? Let's just all get into a room together, introduce ourselves, and let's just um, get it done. So and because it's hard because when I was in Surrey Hills uh, for an example like I was not an advisor at that time but I was sending as an accountant sending all these financial advisory clients off to this you know random dude uh, you know and then I'm seeing all the fees he's charging and I'm like oh oh, I need to get a part of this (laughs) because I'm here charging you know just up to a thousand bucks for this client and the advisor's charging upwards of four grand so I'm like oh damn it (laughs) So it's just res- – and then just respecting their relationships, you know, have a coffee or a beer together. Yeah, because
0: cause it's an interesting – because if you're going to take the lead, um, I guess the point I was trying to make here, you, you want to take the lead on being the project manager, and I guess somebody's got to. But what happens if somebody comes to you and they think they're the leader?
1: It may come down to personality clashes, I suppose. For me in particular, if if I'm seeing someone – I as the accountant seeing that the financial advisor knows their staff and you know is dealing with me respectfully and vice versa of course, then I'm very happy to hand all that over to them because that's again one less thing for me to worry about, and I'm um, I know that they're going to be dealt with nicely as the client. so more than happy for that to happen. Again, if that doesn't work, then it's try to come to some form of compromise with the client really and get the client just a little bit more involved.
0: Yeah. So do you act as the advisor and the accountant in many cases?
1: In certain, certain circumstances, yeah, that's correct. Um, just because of how it's, I suppose the client gets the best of both worlds from me. Yeah,
0: and in, in some circumstances you'll act as one but not both.
1: Yeah, that's correct because it just makes it's either there's already an existing relationship so I'm never going to step on any toes and it sometimes just makes sense that the role is split
0: Yep. Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. And um, and with the communication, t- tell us about how you do that. Is that just is that just constant emails and phone calls, or do you have a particular system in place where you can message people?
1: It'd mainly revolve around emails and phone calls. Um, so it's just figuring out who, either who the client wants to deal with, or are they happy for you to engage? You know, your own circle of uh, professionals. Then just simple heads up. Phone calls, basically. I'd like to deal with phone calls. Um, but uh, whatever communication methods you have in place, as long as everyone's at least aware of what's going on, then it's pretty streamlined from there.
0: Yep, yep, fair enough. I, I guess it's just every way I look at this, it's just time-consuming, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that is yeah, that is correct. There is a lot of time that goes into this. And, you know, it's your, first, it's your essentially sweat equity that you're putting into the client relationship so why why not try to make a really good effort for this because the business real property investment for the client it's not like shares and managed funds and stuff that you trade on the market on either a daily weekly or monthly or annual basis this is something that's in place for 30 years so you know making sure that all the relationships are set up nicely at the start and yeah sure it's hard work but wouldn't have it any other way Cause then then the client loves you all the other professional advisors love you as well, and then you're usually rewarded.
0: Yep. You're rewarded with a long term relationship. Talk to me about that 30 years. I mean, obviously, that in a, you know, after you're purchasing property, there's a long term loan in place, all those sorts of things. Uh, talk to me about that and, and what you say to your clients in that space. If you know, if they're not prepared to, to, to put this in place for 30 years, it's not worth it, or t- 10 years, or five years, or whatever it might be.
1: Usually, the premise for clients coming in and wanting business real properties because they they want this long term this long term solution for them because again they don't want to rent anymore and so they want to take a bit more responsibility and deal with their own, yep. do their own property stuff and I suppose 30 years is used because I'm pretty they may have changed the rules recently but they've extended out debt on LRBAs in timeframes so it's usually. I think it was usually maxed out at fifteen, so you know you've got a fifteen-year fifteen-year time frame where you're stuck with this thing. So making sure that um, the business is essentially solvent and trading well, and got succession planning stuff in the background is, you know, useful to know, so that like they're in this for the long haul.
0: Yeah, do you go into that with them? As in their business, their business plan, and and if they're going to be able to, you know, sustain their business and all those sorts of things.
1: Well, that's correct. Because again, as as the advisor, you've got to think of the best interests of the clients. And I suppose if we want to drag the FASIA code of ethics in as standard six, it's the long term effects of the advice for the client. So as the as the joy of being the accountant as well, I get to put my little hat on and do cash flow projections for these guys and say, you know. Is your business doing well? Can it support this? And if it can, let's go.
0: Yep, fair enough. Now, tell me about what thing. I mean, I think I, I feel like you've got a whole lot of stories inside you that uh, things that went wrong, tips that you've worked out over time, uh, things that uh, things that went right, things that went wrong. Talk to me about uh, tips and traps that you might have lined up there for, say, um, you know, dealing with different uh, departments.
1: Yeah, I mean, as we've mentioned before, the biggest one is dealing with the ATO. That's your first major hurdle, because if you can't if you can't jump that one, then you're stuck. So lining yourself up, doing the SMSF, getting the trustees to do the SMSF um, trustee courses, it's just a good lead-in. Then I suppose the absolute joy I had out of this was dealing with a solicitor. So this, they found the solicitor, and it was a family friend, circle of family friends, and I just called them up and introduced myself. Took the initiative and you know asked them, do you understand what's going on? If you don't, well, here's five minutes spiel as to what's going on. And I just loved dealing with them from start to finish because they knew what was going on, they knew what they had to do, and they knew the timeframes uh, up the background.
0: So is this some um, is that is that is this a you take this as an opportunity for you to develop a new relationship with a new solicitor and and then be able to say you know talk to them about other other bit. You know, or we refer other clients to them if they need.
1: Yeah, that's it. And I mean, I come with the mindset of first and foremost, it's dealing with the client, your client at hand. So, you know, do the job for them. And then if you do it correctly and you're dealing with these guys uh, in a decent manner, then of course, you're going to get rewarded, hopefully at the end of the day, by either client referrals or you can refer clients to them. It's not, it doesn't have to be a two-way street. Really, that's how I perceive it. Yep um a couple what else? of other yeah what else um, the biggest fall down for me was dealing with the broker they weren't well whether or not it was a communic again fun communication stuff whether it was a failure on my behalf or again a communication in how I was writing this it's just LOBAs usually have minimum cash requirements or minimum holding requirements so i initially framed my question what are these minimum holding requirements and it was never really, it was brushed off and never really came back to me with an appropriate answer. Then when I'm finally looking at the loan documents, I'm seeing this uh, this fee called the lender protection fee, which is, if you've never heard of it, it's like a uh, lender's mortgage insurance. And I picked them up on it and said, why are you charging this fee? It shouldn't be there. Um, and then they explained, well, because you don't have less than a percentage requirements, this is why this fee is charged. And I said, well... I asked you about this a month ago <laughs> and now you're telling me about this so um, that was quite frustrating and took a bit of time
0: so do you think that um, when it comes to talking to your clients about finding the lender or finding the broker that you really need to find somebody that's done this a few times before
1: that's correct yeah ideally everyone involved or professionals involved need to have had some level of experience in this um, and the brokers Not to pick on them, they've just got a little bit of stuff to catch up on, I think, from an advice disclosure process and especially fee disclosure process. So it's just ensuring that, you know, we all know what's going on and what are the the actual requirements from the lender's perspective? Because they, again, they only usually lend up to 75% or even less. So it's, and then what are the other fun fun conditions that they, they want to impose? So it's finding out these up front can be slightly difficult because until the application's in front of a lender, they're usually not interested in looking at it.
0: So so I guess you could say to your client, find a solicitor or we'll help you find one, but it's important that when you do interview your solicitor or interview your broker or interview, or we find an auditor that we don't, that it's somebody that's done several of these.
1: Yeah, that's correct. It makes the whole process a lot smoother.
0: I guess that's a really good, that's a really interesting tip for one of the first things probably that you need to say to, 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 a, uh, to, to a to the client that's looking to purchase a property.
1: It's getting your professionals lined up at the start. Who are you as the client, who are you want to dealing with? Who do you want to be dealing with? And then, then you're doing your due diligence as the advisor and checking them out and just giving them a couple of quick phone calls.
0: And, really? and as you mentioned, a lot of the big banks aren't getting involved. What are you seeing? Who, who are you seeing that's lending in this space? If it's if it's not big banks,
1: um, there's usually second tier, second tier organisations. So without going into any particular names, the funding, as I said before, the funding's um, usually done um, by perpetual or other other large um, organisations such as them and Latitude. Um, because so they, they, yeah, that process is quite complicated. Onto how they raise yeah. raise funds to essentially to service debt, so yeah, which can be quite a bit of a challenge.
0: Yeah. And do you have any tips or, or or traps around the um the accountant or lawyers?
1: Yeah, as long as for the accountant's perspective, I would say as long as they give enough, given enough time. Like all things, that we're at least aware of what's up and coming, and then that the accountants are given all the back-end documentation uh, to essentially make sure that their year-end financial reporting can be done in an appropriate time frame, and they're kept reasonably happy. Yeah. <laughs> They've got all the yep. records, as I said, accounting yep. bliss.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly right, Canvas. and talk to me about the clients, What? Uh, how do you see them, uh, what, what, what tips or traps do you have for the clients that they need to be aware of?
1: Well, the critical one is really their their understanding about what they're actually getting themselves into. So their time and responsibility, hence the course, their capacity to their capacity to do so as well. So are they are they going to be in this kind of thing for the for the long haul? And then secondary to that is well the costs. So I don't think you'd get too much change out of twenty thousand dollars with all this really um, if you broke it all down Um, so it's setting their expectations that yeah this to get you what you want this is a bit of a costly exercise but it's your investment over you know if you say $20,000 over 15 years it's actually not that bad Um, and then to make sure that they've got funding so as the example for my client recently it's they had to they had they didn't quite have enough cash inside the fund so they had to ensure that there was enough cash to essentially shovel into this thing um, to meet, well, the lender's requirements. Um, at the end of the day, uh, to get this thing over the line, plus the construction yeah, a, stuff.
0: Exactly, it's a it's an interesting concept when you all of a sudden you slap a, a twenty thousand dollar figure on there, saying, "Well, it's going to cost you know twenty to set it up." Uh, so, as you said, over a long term, it, it works out, but in the short term, it's going to be a um, it's going to be a a hit to the fund.
1: Yeah, that's it and and then another strange one would be as long as they continue to pay the ASIC fees for the trustee companies. I came across a trustee company recently uh, under an LBO arrangement that had paid their fees for some time and ASIC delisted the company. <laughs> so, uh when you when I, when we came across that after um yes, uh, in the shock and awe, it's like, well, nobody actually owns, the state actually owns the property now. So, <laughs> so we sorted it out and got it back online again. But um, yeah, it's that's, just making sure uh, yeah, compliance I, I costs are paid.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that's uh, obviously, can, that's what auditing sort of thing does as well, doesn't it? They pick up on all that stuff, but it's, uh, it's, once, it's, once it's done, it's done. It's about fixing it. You yeah, you want that's to be right. proactive and try to be proactive in a lot of states, um a lot of circumstances.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: Fantastic. Now uh, uh tell us about technology throughout this process, because I, yeah. I kind of feel like um technology has improved some of this reporting stuff in a way. Um, but then, you know, it doesn't hasn't necessarily worked its way through the entire process.
1: No, we're still dealing with we're still dealing with paper signatures. Um, which again, there's some ancient history involved with that. Communication has been has been improved in the sense of yeah if we're separated geographically, we can still reasonably speak and see each other's faces without too many problems. So um, I'm quite grateful for all the video conferencing uh, systems out there. Um,
0: do, do a lot yep. of them still not accept the DocuSign type uh, you know online digital signatures?
1: Well, it's just with trust deeds. Um, there's funny rules around, do, can they, can they be executed correctly and legally with a DocuSign, with an electronic signature, or does it still have to be a physical signature? Um, so there's trust law is quite ancient in, well, it's quite young in Australia, but ancient in the UK. So I think we're still hanging up on that a little bit. Um so not entirely too sure how they're going to resolve this. Uh, one of the other requirements is just for me as a justice of the peace is to certify these documents. So I'm not entirely too sure if I can certify a digital signature, because again, I uh, what lengths do I have to go to to check the IP address and make sure that, you know, the date and timestamp is actually correct and what's the process involved in there because that's what the bank wants. They want certified copies of trust deeds, so. Yeah,
0: interesting, like, isn't it? I guess um, uh, citing and certifying is one thing and then witnessing signatures is the, is the next hard thing, I guess, witnessing, uh, uh, to, you know, the online signature. Anyway, that's probably not for us to solve. Yeah, that's um, correct, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your experiences with um, dealing with uh, business real property inside self-managed super funds and um, yep. and all the all the little bits and pieces that go along with it. Because obviously it's it, it's it just seems to me like there is a, a a jigsaw puzzle is is a good way of putting it. There's just so many different pieces to the puzzle that have to be uh, put in place at the right order. So. Uh, Congratulations on the work that you do. Um, Alistair, if somebody wants to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to get hold of you?
1: Yeah, come and join me online at XY Advisor. There's certainly a lot of um, pieces to put together and always happy to guide advisors through this.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time.
1: No worries. Pleasure speaking with you, mate.